Guys, I hope it's all right. I have another seven or eight announcements and some vacation photo slides. Would that be okay? Maybe not. Hey, I will pray again, though, briefly. Lord, would you show us uh, how valuable you are? A little bit this morning, at least. Would you grab our hearts? Would you engage our minds so that we have at least an inkling of the kind of blessing you call us to and some of the ways we get to experience that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, how do you like that? Uh, thanks to David Vincent for the artwork. Uh, yeah, some of you are old enough to remember the I Love Lucy show live. I'm not one, but 1951 to 1957, I Love Lucy. Uh, Lucille Ball, of course, these shows have been running on reruns forever. I did grow up seeing the reruns. And so, you know, Lucy is this vivacious redhead, and she's uh, going 100 miles an hour, and she is always getting into trouble. And, you know, it makes for great TV and great comedy and god bless her husband ricky because he loves her right and that's i love lucy that's ricky so but you know if you were a guy looking for a wife a lucy attractive as she is in some other ways you might say you know I- i'm not up for this uh the challenges of all the uh, the pitfalls and the disasters uh, do you remember vita vita vegemans or vita mita vegemans or do you remember the production line the chocolate stuff and yeah those are the two most memorable for me too but uh i love lucy the title of our very short summer series here will wind down in four weeks is called i love sophie and this is sort of a joke sort of you know but the hope is as i was going through the thought what will i call this series you always want something that's catchy, right? Uh, because you want it to be memorable in some way. So, you know, if I just say wisdom, leave you a little flat, right? Or if I say uh, I'm passionate about wisdom, that doesn't quite get it either. So as I'm going through permutations in my mind, I get to Sophia is the Greek term used for wisdom in the Greek version of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so, I love Sophia. Well, it sounds like I love Sophie. We'll give her a nickname, shorten. Then it sounds so close to I love Lucy that I'm afraid if I don't just go there at the start, you're going to go there in your mind anyway, and I'm going to have lost you. So we've just defaulted. I love Lucy's the backdrop for us to say, I love Sophie. I hope this makes it memorable, something we can hang our hats from. It would be... uh, Uh, it would not be overstatement if I told you that I cannot think of another topic that has the power to affect your life and mine more fully, more deeply, more broadly than the one we'll look at this morning. So we've got this funny sort of ha-ha link to the past, but the truth is, when you're talking about wisdom in the way the Bible does, you're talking about something that has the power to impact your life unlike almost any other thing you can imagine. And also conversely, and this is something we'll look at in week two next week, if you and I disregard the Bible's admonitions to embrace wisdom, we do so at our peril. So you'll see that this thing develops in the Bible to love God is to love wisdom. And to practice a lifestyle of wisdom is a lifestyle that honors God. And when we do that, 
we get a great life. Or as Christians, even in persecuted areas of the world, we get life as good as it can be in our space and our time. We avoid all kinds of things that we don't have to go through. So it would not be overstatement to tell you that this, this uh, theme, this teaching on wisdom and its desirability, it would hard to overstate its importance to any of us, young or old. Uh, the Hebrew in the Old Testament for wisdom typically is uh, chokma, and if I was a good Jewish pronunciator, and I'm not, it would have this guttural sound when I say that. And I thought about calling it, I love chakma, but it didn't have the same ring. So we're going to look at Sophie and wisdom. Wisdom is both knowledge and it's the ability to engage or use knowledge in a way that honors God and blesses us. And let me just tell you, just on the front end, just to wet our whistle a little bit, some of the ways wisdom can impact our life in a good way. Wisdom provides the appropriate fear of the Lord and therefore an adjustment to the ultimate reality. Uh, Psalm says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. It doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't believe ontologically that a God exists. He's going to refuse to acknowledge that though. And so he set himself up for the rest of his life for folly and all the things that folly is going to bring him. Wisdom provides a means to peace and joy and fulfillment. We'll see some of these things develop a little bit yet this morning. Wisdom provides a means of un, avoiding unnecessary pain and frustration. You know that for us, in a world in which sin still is the norm, we are going to have frustration and pain and suffering and sorrow. That's a given. And as Christians, God says, I'm going to bless you doubly because I'm going to bless you with more trouble in the way of persecution because you belong to me. So we're not saying we can avoid all trouble on the earth, but there are kinds of trouble you and I don't have to experience if we'll embrace wisdom. Wisdom gives us knowledge to navigate the various challenges you and I are always going to be faced with in life. These are direct references out of some of the wisdom literature. Wisdom will prolong your life or certainly has the ability to do so. Wisdom can free you from unnecessary harm. It can bring you before kings and leaders. Wisdom can bring significance in your life. It can bring the ability to influence more people. Wisdom allows you to build your home and to fill it with treasures. Wisdom gives you a future and a hope, gives you wealth better than gold and silver, and provides you with freedom from fear and sleep that is peaceful. All of that comes, the Bible says, from embracing wisdom. We'll use the wisdom books, all of them, between the four weeks. This morning it will primarily be in Proverbs, but Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs will be the, the primary venues we'll be using for these four, four teachings. In Proverbs, and hopefully you've got a study sheet, in Proverbs, when Solomon opens up, he says in Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we know who's writing these, this book of Proverbs. Some of Proverbs you probably know it's a collection. Solomon didn't write all of them, but he collected them together. And then later in verse 8 of chapter 1, Solomon says, Hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Maybe he's speaking to Rehoboam. If you know Rehoboam's story, you know Rehoboam didn't listen to dad's wisdom and instruction. But this is Solomon saying, I'm speaking to my son or sons. That's the perspective. And I want to engage Junior in the things that will bless his life. 
In Proverbs 4, verse 3 and 4, Solomon writes, When I was a son with my father, King David, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, Bathsheba, he taught me and he said to me. So Proverbs is about at least two fathers and others in the collection. Fathers who are trying to tell their children who they love how to live life in a way that gets God's blessing and blesses their life in all kinds of ways they may be aware of and some that they may not be. So if you're a parent and you've already raised kids or you're raising them now, you know that when you look at Junior, you want Junior to be free from trials that they don't need to face. And most of us feel like we want our kids to be blessed more fully than we have. And part of that for us is we know if we could only get them convinced of certain things, that they're true, if we could shape their decisions and what they value, then we could get them to have more blessing in their life and fewer regrets. And that's what Solomon is saying, and that's what David said to Solomon. So the motivation behind the book of Proverbs is the love of a father for his children to say, you can be spared all kinds of trouble and you can have a great life. I've already been down that road and I've already walked this stuff out. I've seen it in action. And if you'll take my word for it because I love you and because God's given me this wisdom, you will be glad you did. So the motivation in Proverbs is a father's is a paternal love for their children. They want to see their children blessed. Solomon is the dad here and he knows that he has competition for Junior's attention. And that's certainly true today. So Solomon knows that Rehoboam or his other sons, they're going to hear conflicting views about wisdom. And so Solomon goes to great lengths to sell his children simply on the concept of godly wisdom. So the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters long, and for the first nine chapters, it's pretty much advertisement for the notion of valuing wisdom. You get into the Proverbs in the main, in their body, from chapter 10 on. But before that, what Solomon is really doing, he's selling the vision of the desirability of wisdom. Because he knows if he doesn't engage Junior's heart, it's going to be lip service back. And so he's being creative. And he's giving every permutation he can think of to engender this desire in his son to want the wisdom Solomon wants to give him. It's going to be a blessing if he'll accept it, but Solomon knows there's competition for Junior's affections. If you're a parent today, you, you, we live, and it's got to be about the most challenging time in the history of the world to raise children. And you think of uh, TV and Internet, social media, uh, movies, music, and by the way, I have nothing against any of the technology, but all of those things have formative influence in your child's life. That's what you're up against. So as parents, we're really trying to engage for our children's benefit. We want to do what Solomon did. We want to be creative in helping them see the value of wisdom. If they don't see the value, they won't want it. We want them to see the value and to want it. We labor, we pray so that our kids will buy into it. And even if there are lapses in that, you know, things that we give our children in their youth, even if they choose to walk away from them for a time, 
often as not, they'll come back to the things their mother and their father gave them in their youth because they'll see their value over time. So, Solomon, here in Proverbs, and David before him, they were working hard to sell their children on the value of wisdom and all the things wisdom would do for them. We're going to read through quite a bit of passage here, more than I usually do as we go through these, but starting with Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 26, I just want to go through some of the texts, some of the key texts in which Solomon is selling the notion of wisdom, okay? And so, so Dad, why do I want what you have? So I'm reading from the ESV. This is in Proverbs 3, starting at verse 13. Uh, blessed and blessed in the Old Testament is a key term. Psalm 1 starts the same way. It's the Hebrew word Asher. Uh, the tribe in Israel called Asher meant happy or blessed or successful. So happy, blessed, successful is the one who finds wisdom. And wisdom here is the skill to live life well. Knowledge with a kind of wisdom that enables me to live life skillfully well. The one who gets understanding. This is intelligence and insight. We see the way things work. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. Her profit is better than gold. This is wisdom, all wisdom. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom, Solomon says. And you know, I can see a son saying, I'm not buying this, Dad. I know things that I would like, and I'm not sure wisdom is as important as them. So Solomon's made a pretty strong case, so now he's going to start fleshing it out. He's going to start filling in some details to tell Junior what wisdom will do for him. Verse 16, he says, Long life is in her right hand. Long, a long life to the Jews this was incredibly important. If you died in your youth, it was understood generally that you were judged by God. A long life was a sign of blessing. Long life is in wisdom's hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Wouldn't you like a pleasant life? Wouldn't that be better than a strifeful life? Pleasant. Peace. The absence of warfare. Strife. Tension. Solomon says that's what wisdom gives us. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Do you remember when Psalm 1 wants to give us a picture of the person whose life is absolutely blessed by God? It's a tree. And it's planted by water. And that's the same imagery here. So it's this, uh, an entity of substance. And it's got all the resources it needs, the water it's planted by. And it's always bearing fruit. That was the symbol of a happy, a blessed life. The Lord, verse 19, by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. By bringing God in this equation, Solomon is telling Junior, when you grow in wisdom, you see the way God put this world together. And if you know how God put the world together, you will know how to skillfully interact in it. So you're, in a sense, joining God. When you choose to live in wisdom, you're joining God in the way He put this world together. Verse 21, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Solomon says wisdom will give you the necessities of life. Wisdom will also give you some of the luxuries of life. 
then you will walk on your way securely. You know, there's a proverb that says, uh, the wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Well, when I'm walking in wisdom with God, I have a freedom from stress or fear that someone who's not embraced wisdom doesn't. I have a security that someone who's not walking in God's wisdom does not have. It'll keep your foot from stumbling. If you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When my conscience bothers me, sleep is a difficult thing to have or to sleep well. Don't be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Remember, this is Yahweh. This is the God of the Exodus. This is the God of creation. This is the God of all power and all knowledge. Solomon says, He will be your confidence. You don't have to worry about who's got your back. The God of all the earth will sustain you when you walk in His wisdom. A brief digression out of Proverbs in Job 28, 17-19. Job's talking about the value of wisdom also. And he says it this way, gold and glass cannot equal it. He's talking about all the things that had inherent value. Uh, Nor can it be exchanged for jewels or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. Don't even talk about those, he says. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it nor can it be valued in pure gold. So Job says too, wisdom's worth is so great that you cannot buy it. You cannot equate the value of wisdom with with cash or assets. Because what wisdom will give you, money can't buy. You know, some of the wealthiest people are often, sometimes the people are eaten up with angst and worry. You know, people that win the lotteries who don't have wisdom, you know what they almost always do? They go broke. The wealth alone, it's not enough. You could give all of us a bunch of money if we don't know how to handle it well, it won't matter. It won't bless us the way wisdom always will. If you're a parent raising small children, I would really, 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 really encourage you to do what Solomon did. Have his outlook for your children, which is to say, look how hard, nine chapters, he's just marketing. He's marketing the concept of wisdom. To be creative, to be proactive in showing your children why embracing God and God's wisdom is worth their while. And you know, this is always an uphill battle with children Because as much as we love our children, as delighted as we are to have them, absolutely. You know, Proverbs also says that foolishness, the thing God tells us to avoid, folly. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, the truth is that for all of us, our first parents, I look forward to meeting Adam and Eve, right? I I really do. Won't that be great? Our first parents, human parents, I look forward to that. But you know, once they sinned, we didn't just get their DNA, we got their inclination to sin and so the scripture says our hearts every human heart is inclined to evil all the time not a little a lot so for our children for those cute little tykes in our living room that we love love to death right if we're not proactive as solomon was here of selling them on the concept of wisdom godly fear we'll talk about that in a minute in some other passages Godly fear and respect and the ways they can embrace wisdom will lose them to the version of wisdom, which is folly, that they're going to get from everyone else around them. 
So as parents, we have no greater call, one, than to introduce our children to Christ, but as you'll see at the end, Christ is inherently wisdom itself. When we get Christ, we get God's wisdom. Colossians 2 will say we'll wind up with that. But as a parent, this is our highest call. We've got to be proactive. We've got to be creative. We've got to be prayerful. We've got to be constant on this for our children's sake. And that's the way we honor God in our parenting. If you're a child still living in your parents' home, let me assure you, your parents love you. And their job in life, they don't see their job in life as, as uh, keeping you from as much fun as possible. That when your parents say no, I'll bet they're actually thinking about it. And I'll bet they're actually being prayerful about it. So that your parent, parents' goal is not to make your life so small there's nothing to enjoy. But like Solomon and David, they've been down the road. They know some of the troubles that you're going to be confronted with and tempted with. And they're trying to spare you from that. So you will be blessed, the Bible says, if you choose to believe that your parents believe the, or hope the best for you. And that when you respect them and obey them, which is what the Scripture always calls children to, you will be walking in some of the wisdom Solomon is talking about, and you'll get the fruit of that. You will have peace. You will not have otherwise. When we as children are in contention with our parents, guys, you're just going to lack some security, some sense of peace that God really means you to have. So if you're still at home, choose to believe the best about your parents to respect and obey them, which is a child's form of wisdom. If you're not a parent and you're not living at home with your parent, remember this, that the wisdom literature is from God our Father to us. So it doesn't matter if I'm not a child at home, I'm not raising children, that's just okay. Because this is still my Father's wisdom for me today and tomorrow and when I'm 60 and 70 and on down the road. So this is always for us, no matter what our stage of life may be. Solomon shifts gears, and this, this goes to the theme and the imagery that we're using for this series title. He wants to make wisdom both desirable and sort of palpable. Uh, he, he wants to clothe wisdom in a way, he wants to personify it, so that it's another hook for Junior to hold on to, to say, I want that. And so Solomon does that by personifying wisdom as a woman. Lady Wisdom. This is where we get the title, of course. Wisdom in the Greek is Sophia. And so our nickname for Sophia is Sophie. But Solomon dresses wisdom up in the garb of a, a wise, generous, benevolent woman. You know, uh, uh, in the creation account, God says that he's going to make Adam a helper. And so Adam knows when he sees Eve, here's a helper. She compliments me she helps me do the things god's called me to men often call ships she it's a her it's a female it's the other that helps a man complete the things god's given him to do and so solomon says well wisdom is like the ultimate other wisdom is the ultimate helper that will come alongside you and help you do the things god wants you to do and be blessed in the doing so he dresses wisdom up in the garb of a woman Wisdom is seen as the ultimate friend and helper, the best companion, the strongest defense, the most loyal of friends, and the most desirable of counselors. That's wisdom in her persona as a female here. Let me read through some of these passages. Uh, this is ESV. If you don't have ESV, just listen. Um, trying to get Junior engaged. And this is, this is how he does it. 
Proverbs 1, starting in verse 20. Uh, Wisdom, this woman, cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Wisdom is going everywhere the crowds are. The city gates and the streets and the marketplaces. If people are around, that's where she's at and she's yelling. You know, we say ignorance is no excuse. This shows that. Wisdom is saying, I'm here, I'm yelling, I want your attention. This is what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And simple is not a good thing in Proverbs. Simple means to be naive. It means to be untaught and uninstructed in things that we should know. How long, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? To be a scoffer is to be arrogant and boastful. How long will fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour my spirit out to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom says, guys, here I am, and I want to bless you, and I'm yelling, and I'm advertising, and I hope you'll give me some time. hope you'll come and see me. In Proverbs 4, this theme continues, this imagery. Proverbs 4, starting at verse 6. Solomon says, don't forsake her. Don't leave her behind. She will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. You know, uh, who's the old uh, football coach who says to his guys every day, first, se- uh, first day of the season, this is a football, right? Who was that? Was that Vince Lombardi? Vince Lombardi, gentlemen, this is a football. Well, Solomon's saying here, guys, this is where we start about wisdom. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Don't, don't start anyplace else. Just be clued into you need it. And if you have the sense of need, you'll be driven to get it. So get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she'll exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. Verse 12, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. You're, the path before you will be a smooth one. You're going to avoid pitfalls. If you run, you won't stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Don't let go. Guard her. Why? Well, because she is your life. Wisdom will be the thing that informs your life that will inform the quality of your life. Wisdom will give you a life worth living, worth experiencing, worth passing on to others. Proverbs 8, it goes back to this calling language starting at verse 8. Does not wisdom call? And of course... Yes, she does. Does not understanding raise her voice? She cries aloud. Down at verse 19. My fruit is better than gold than fine gold. My yield than choice silver. We tend to equate everything with finances, with money and the things money can do. You know, if you were a Wall Street broker when the housing bubble burst, the money's gone. What do you have left? Do you have a wisdom that will see you or sustain you through now? Or did you have wisdom while you were making the money such that you set money aside for the rainy day that was sure to come? Wisdom is better than money because wisdom can provide you more income in the future should you lose everything in the moment. Wisdom gives you the ability to make that up. Wisdom says, I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice and for a jew remember under the law of moses before yahweh their god this would have been the blessed life he's a righteous man he 
He does justly. Think of Micah 6, verse 8. I grant an inheritance to those who love me. I fill their treasuries. I grant an inheritance. Something they didn't work for, I'm going to give them because they're related to me. And their treasure rooms, they'll be filled up because of the things I bring to them. Verse 32, So now, sons, listen to me. Blessed, happy, successful are those who keep my ways. Hear my instruction and be wise. Don't neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Verse 35, Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Whoever finds me wisdom gets life and God's favor. You know, if you told me that Bill Gates was my friend, that he just wanted to bless me, and I'm thinking of all his resources, I'd say, man, that's a good deal. Bill, I'm interested in a few things. Would you favor me? But here, it's not Bill Gates. It's God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, owner of all things. He's the one behind this offer. When I embrace wisdom, I have God's favor, God's desire to bless on these passages, hope you're sticking with me. Are we doing okay? Okay, it's a lot of Bible reading for sure. I love it. I hope you do too, by the way. The last one from Lady Wisdom, Lady Sophie, is in Proverbs 9. Um, this is kind of the culmination of Solomon's appeal to Junior as, as he's making this personification of wisdom. Remember too, in the Bible, uh, godly wisdom, helpful wisdom is always attributed to God. It's it's of God. God has all knowledge. His character is perfect so that God uses knowledge absolutely perfectly all the time. So in the Bible, godly wisdom is always connected to God Himself. Proverbs 9, verse 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Uh, wisdom has money. She's a woman of influence. She has a small estate and she built a very lovely little chateau here. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. Now, slaughtered her beasts. You know, if you lived in these days, a little sheep or goat once in a while when you went and sacrificed to the temple, that's the meat you would have enjoyed regularly. Not much. But you see, wisdom, she's wealthy. So she's slaughtering multiple beasts. There's a lot of food and meats, choice meats, not just a little. When wine, I know not all of you drink alcohol, that's fine, but wine in the Bible isn't just tied to drunkenness, it's tied to blessing. And so because it represents abundance like oil does. So wisdom has mixed her wine. She's taken the best wine and she's mixed in some honey probably and some uh, spices. And so she's taken the best wine and she's made it better. In other words, she has really set a lavish banquet here. Seven pillars means her house. Seven is the number of perfection. So her house is stately. It's perfect. It is a place you would want to go. Uh, she sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. So the table's set. She sends out invitations. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. What an offer. I mean, who would want to turn this down, right? Sophia is the epitome of the gracious host. She's a wealthy patroness who is inviting you to her soiree. She lives in the finest house. She's serving the choicest meats, the most expensive wine. And also, 
understand that this invitation has no downside to it. In other words, this is an invitation to get drunk. There's nothing untoward here. This would be like going to a wedding feast. This would be seen as the best thing I could do, the best style of life I could enjoy would be going to this kind of feast. She set the table and she's just waiting for us to join her. Now, to go in, you have to have a little humility, don't you? Because she's calling the simple. So if I say I'm a wise person, I may say I know more than wisdom does, than Sophie does, and so I'm not going to bother going into her feast. I've already got that. It's only the humble who will attend to this banquet because we have to recognize that she has something to offer that I don't have otherwise. You'll not only enjoy yourself at her table, but you'll go away with life and you'll have power to live well, to be happy and successful. That is the offer in the house of wisdom or in Sophie's place. I can't think of many invitations that promise more, and a promise that's good, promise more than wisdom does in Proverbs, and that we have that from God. Why wouldn't we love Sophie? Why wouldn't we say what she's offering, her table, that's what I want? That's where I'm setting my cap. That's where I'm going. I love Sophie. I love wisdom. I hope all of us will too. So in the form of Lady Wisdom, Sophia, Sophie, God invites us to walk in wisdom and live. You know, for all of us, this would start with something as basic today as forsaking our sins and accepting the gift of eternal life God offers us in Jesus, right? I mean, the, the beginning of wisdom would to be to recognize I've got an issue between God and I, and Jesus has done something about it. I think I'll accept that payment for my sin and come in right standing with God. That would be the place to start in embracing wisdom today. Children, embrace wisdom in respecting and obeying your parents. We've talked about this. You will be blessed. You'll be more blessed. That's hard to believe at times, but it's the truth. Young adults, and there's a lot of us here, young adults married or single, uh, you're living, we're living in the most tempting time in all of the history of the world. There's more temptations for us today than ever. Refuse this world's version of pleasure and good times in substance abuse and in excess of all kinds. Use your time and energies as those who will give account to God. Because you will. And invest in things that matter. Parents and grandparents just thinking of continue to invest in the children, the grandchildren, the folks that God has given us influence around us. That's always appropriate. That's a wise investment going forward. Paul says in Acts 24-25, not quite the wisdom literature, but that we're called to live righteously and with self-control. That's a blessed, happy life. Now in contrast to Sophia or to Lady Wisdom, Solomon has been very careful, and of course with God's inspiration, Solomon's been very careful to contrast wisdom and folly side by side in the same chapter, chapter 9 in Proverbs. Because there's another woman that's clamoring for our attention, and she also says that her way of life is the one that you ought to buy into. Now, I'm calling the woman that's called folly in Proverbs, I'm calling her Kessie. So you've got Sophie on one hand, and you've got Kessie on the other. I hope no one here is named Kessie. It's not your pet name, nothing like that. But Kessie, because uh, the Hebrew Keseluth means folly. And so this is the woman called folly, or Kessie. 
And God goes to lengths to put these two women side by side so that we can see what they look like. The personification of godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom are put side by side here in chapter 9. So, you know, in a single moment when a temptation confronts you, the temptation looks so desirable, right? It wouldn't be tempting if it didn't, but it's just me or it's just you and there's just one thing in front of me and it's a temptation. All by itself, it looks like, gosh, I might as well. That's so, it looks so good. But if you put temptation next to God or to what's truly worthwhile, you see the contrast. That's what happens here. So if folly or foolishness sometimes appears desirable when she's standing by herself, she appears cheap and tawdry when she's compared to Lady Wisdom. And that's what God wants us to see. So listen to this, Proverbs 9 again, starting at verse 13. Here's the contrast. You've got Sophia, wisdom on one hand. Here's Kessie, folly. The woman folly is loud. Maybe like Lucy, loud. Uh, she's seductive. Uh, NASB typically says boisterous. But the thought is, she's trying to get your attention, whether softly or loudly, she's trying to get you to listen and come over here, Junior, listen to what I have to say. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. She's calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. She's doing the same thing wisdom does. She's in the same place as wisdom is. And notice here where it says, she's calling to those going on their straight way. The straight way in Proverbs is the right path. It's the godly life. She's calling to the people who are honoring God already and she's saying, I've got something better for you over here. Whoever is simple, same language, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Same words and a sort of, sort of a similar offer. So Kelly, Cassie Folly is making the rounds. She's going through town. She's competing with wisdom, with Sophie, saying the same things and offering something not quite the same, though. Look at this. Verse 17. Stolen water is sweet and bread in secret is pleasant. You notice there's no meat in Cassie's house. She doesn't have the wealth that wisdom provided. And there's no wine either. There's nothing that represents sort of the best of life. It's absent from her offer. She's only offering bread, and her offer sounds like the guy, back in the day, you know, the caricature of the guy on the street corner on the alleyway with his trench coat, and he opens it up, and would you like to buy a watch, sir? That's what this comes across as. It's tawdry, and it's cheap. She's not above board. She lacks integrity, and her offer is to join her in secret. She specializes in deceit and her offer to us is something that at least at that time in that way, God doesn't mean us to have anyway. It's not the best that God has to offer. Her whole allure is unsavory and tainted. Sophia is lovely, noble and honest. Kessie is overdone, cheap an imitation and a lousy one at that. So what does folly or Kessie look like for us today? Invitations to do things in the dark behind the backs of those around us who otherwise care for us. That's folly. Guys, this is the thing. This is easy. Uh, unless it's a surprise birthday party or anniversary. 
If we're doing things that we have to hide from others, that's pretty easy. That's folly. That's foolishness. That is the pathway to death. I'm going to experience death sooner instead of later when I'm doing things that I have to hide from the light of day. I can't let others know because they might say, well, what's going on? Or they would challenge me on that or they'd say, don't do that. So I hide it. If I have to hide what I'm doing, I can tell you right now, we're on the path with folly. We're going to the place of death. Everything and anything that's illicit, it lacks nobility. It's not above board. It's not honest. Illicit sex, speaking in half-truth, excusing ourselves with lies and deception, cheating on tests, cheating on taxes, cheating on spouses. This is easy to say. These are all tied to folly and therefore to death. And we'll see this, the imagery of where kezi or folly takes us more fully next week. We know we're hearing folly's voice when our conscience bothers us. Now, you know, occasionally we'll have a conscience that's not well informed. You know, that we don't see things the way God does. This was true in the early church. They weren't sure what kind of meats to eat or certain things they could do or not do. And it's because they didn't have as much knowledge as would have been helpful to them in the day. But apart from that, when our conscience bothers us, that's a pretty good indicator we need to go to God and say, I think I'm doing something wrong here. What does this look like getting this right? Let me real quickly wind down the last two points on your study sheet. The first is the connection that wisdom has with love. In 1 Kings 3, God appears to King Solomon who we remember is the wealthiest man who ever lived and also the wisest. But before he's either of those, God shows up in a dream and says, Solomon, what would you like? What would you like? I'll give it to you. And so Solomon says, Lord, what I'd really like is wisdom. Because I'm, I'm small. I'm, I'm new at this. And you're great and your people are great. And I don't know how to lead them out and in. I don't know how to shepherd your people Israel. And God's so pleased with it because Solomon's request was born of love for God and love for God's people, Israel. His wisdom was connected to love. Love was the motivation that brought wisdom into his life. When love is our motive in living, we want to embrace wisdom. If I care about you, I don't want to hurt you. And I know that to be free as much as possible from hurting you, I have to know what God values. I have to know how to live wisely. Or I'll hurt you without... Intending to. If I have a motive of love that undergirds this, I am motivated to wisdom. I am motivated to love Sophie so that I can honor God and bless others. When I'm walking with folly, all of life is about me. The selfish are inextricably tied up with foolishness. They're connected at the hip. You can't have one without the other. The selfish person, don't misunderstand me, they may make a lot of money in this life. They may have kinds of success in this life, but they will not have the best kinds of success. Those who are foolish and self-centered. Those who are self-centered cannot live wisely because their whole center of gravity is askew. You know the tops that kids used to have back in the day? You'd wrap a string around it, you'd pull it. Well, that thing spinning and keeping its rotation and balance meant it had to be absolutely perfect in its weight distribution. If it was off a little, it wouldn't spin. People who embrace folly, they're like a top that's out of weight. It's out of 
center and it's just going to fall over. Or a drunk walking down the road, there's no sense of balance and equilibrium. Folly is going to make me fall down. We value wisdom because it enables us to love God and to love others. And then wisdom becomes a means to an end. Love is always the greatest thing. So if I have a commitment to love God and love my neighbor, I'm going to embrace wisdom because now wisdom is the means or the mechanism by which I can love God and love others. And last, uh, the source of wisdom, you know, we talk about lady wisdom. We talk about Sophia, this, this persona in the book of Proverbs. But really, at the end of the day, wisdom is always connected to God himself so with a few verses we'll close here job 12 verse 13 with god job says are wisdom and might he has counsel and understanding if i want to get wisdom where do i get it god job 28 28 behold the fear of the lord that is wisdom to turn away from evil is understanding psalm 111 verse 10 the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom all those who practice it have good understanding proverbs 2 verse 6 and 7 the lord gives wisdom From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. Before we close here, so if we say God provides wisdom, uh, where would we get God's wisdom today? I'll bet we'd read his Bible, don't you? I'll bet we'd read our Bible. I'll bet maybe we'd even memorize some. I bet that around the table at our home, we might read it together and we might talk about the Bible together. Um, we're a little over halfway through a Bible survey class, a group of us are in church, and I've read through the Bible many, many times. But I'll tell you, it has been, it has rocked my world this year, reading through together with a group and talking about it on Thursday evenings. Uh, incomparable. It has been so good. It's changed the way I'm seeing life again. I feel like I'm, my life is being revolutionized again this year just from being in the Word in a way I haven't done it before. So if you want wisdom, if I want wisdom, if we want our kids to have wisdom, there's a place to get it because God reveals himself in his word. That's where we get wisdom. And last, let me say this, Colossians 2, verse 3. When Paul wanted to focus the early church's view on Christ, he said in part this, in Christ, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is why we say ultimately, if you want wisdom, get Christ. If you get Jesus, you get His wisdom. And the more I get to know Him, the wiser I am. He's the embodiment of wisdom. He's the one that allows me to live life well and successfully. If we want to know God, we'll love wisdom. If we want peace and life and success and joy, they're served up in Lady Wisdom's house. I I absolutely love Sophie. And I hope you guys too. And whether it's cheesy or not, I hope you remember I love Sophie in the future and have this tack in life that Lord, I want the benefits you want for me that you've laid out in the wisdom of your word. Father, I am just so blown away by the way you use your word to counsel us, to inform us, to bless us, to warn us. Father, I pray for all of us here that when we pick up our Bible this week, we we would come doing so asking you to show us something we haven't seen before. And Lord, that might be some conviction of some areas of folly in our own life that we want to get away from. That might be a new way of wisdom, of doing something, of living 
differently than we are that would incur more of your blessing. But Lord, would you help us to love wisdom the way you want us to? And in loving wisdom, Lord, to love you and to be able to honor you and love and bless the people around us. Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.